Our scripture today comes to us from John chapter 4, beginning at verse 19. The woman said to Jesus, Sir, I see that you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem. Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know, we worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that the Messiah is coming, who is called Christ. When he comes, he'll proclaim all things to us. Jesus said to her, I am he, the one who is speaking to you. The word of the Lord. Let us pray. We ask, O oh God, that your spirit would draw us also back to the well. Bring our souls that have been dried out by so many other things to the living water, we pray. In the name of Christ Jesus, amen. I'm continuing in a short series of homilies on this fourth chapter of John, exploring Jesus' conversations with the thirsty Samaritan woman. When Jesus offered her his living water, it was clear that she wasn't really understanding the metaphor, so Jesus tried to help her out by pointing to her five husbands and the man with whom she was currently living who was not her husband. And then last week we spent some time looking at the question, why is it that we who know Jesus is the living water still struggle with our own insatiable thirst? And today... Today, we discover that after Jesus helps this woman with a prayer confession about how her life isn't working out as she had hoped, she responds pretty much the exact same way we would. 
She doesn't offer an explanation or an excuse. She doesn't say, oh, living water, now I get it. (laughs) She doesn't ask for forgiveness. No, she changes the subject. (laughs) She says, you know, we Samaritans um, worship on this mountain. Uh, But you Jews say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem. Really? Jesus has just laid bare the depths of her dried out thirsty soul and her only response is to ask about this ancient worship wars question. She might as well have said, well, what do you think, Jesus? Uh, Guitars or organ? Where are you on that issue? Yes, please, let's bring up that tired old argument because we would rather be arguing about that than dealing with Jesus' argument about our parched souls. This is why the church loves to argue about worship. It's why we argue about music. Oh, do we argue about music? We argue about whether or not there can be a flag in the sanctuary. We argue about if the special offering is going to detract from the general offering. We argue that if we offer worship live stream, will it prevent people from wanting to come back into the sanctuary? And all of these arguments have a very clear function, and that function is to prevent us from having to deal with God's argument. Now, some of the arguments about us are extremely important and the church had sure better be engaged with them. One of the reasons we endeavor with theological education, or certainly one of the reasons why we come to worship, is to ensure that we're working on the right arguments. As the prophet Amos reminds us, that one of God's arguments is that heaven actually has no interest in worship if our justice is not rolling down like the waters. So in worship, when we return to the well, we will always discover that Jesus is not only our living water, but also their living water. And that our souls, no matter how many times we come to worship services, are going to remain dried out unless they are renewed with a passion for those who are thirsting for the waters of justice to flow by them. But ever gracious, Jesus stays with this woman's effort to deflect the attention of her off her thirsty soul and to talk about worship. So Jesus says, all right, you want to talk about worship? Let's talk about worship. It has nothing to do with whether you're worshiping in Jerusalem or on this mountain. 
It's not really about praise courses or hymns or denominations or liturgies or forms or what you do with your hands during worship. Those are all the wrong arguments. They may be important, but it's not worth the argument. True worship, Jesus says, is always done in spirit and in truth. That's what's core. Now, historically, as well as today, communities of faith tend to gravitate towards one of these, spirit or truth, at the expense of the other, because they're very hard to hold together, spirit and truth. Communities that say that they really are concerned mostly about the spirit of the matter are in fact preoccupied with the human spirit. And the worship leaders of these churches are under enormous pressure to make something happen inside the people in the pews or the chairs out there. It can be through the the, the music, it can be through the guitar, it can be through the organ, it can be through the inspiring preacher, but you had better scratch the itch just right. Here, oh, no, over here, oh, yeah, that's it, right there. <laughs> and do something to help me rise above all of the anxiety out there. That's why I came to the sanctuary to get away from out there. I want to rise above it in the course of this service. That's as old as ancient Gnosticism. By contrast, other communities of faith that are preoccupied with the truth are in fact preoccupied with the inculcation of their well-rehearsed, carefully woven construction of the truth. And they are, in fact, very concerned about those out there, but only to the point of saying that they're wrong. And you should be very, very worried about them. They're trying to take something away from you. Look out for them. Look out for what they're trying to do in our schools and our libraries and in our government and our churches. Look out for them. Here we have the right answers. And the whole purpose of being here is to enter the school of saints where you will be renewed and rehearsing right answers, as if that ever did anything for a thirsty soul. But Jesus begins this wonderful teaching about worship by saying that God is spirit. So apparently Jesus is not that concerned about the human spirit or what the humans are feeling, nor was he ever impressed by those who claimed to have the truth but were not living justly. God is spirit, and those who worship must worship in spirit and truth. The woman responds by saying, in essence, this is getting a little deep, I know that when the Messiah comes, he will proclaim all things. And Jesus says, Messiah? Well, that would be me. 
Notice truth not as an explanation, but as a person. Jesus is essentially giving us a Trinitarian understanding of what true worship is. This is what the, his Father seeks, he says, to worship in God the Spirit and in the truth who is the Son, the Messiah. Spirit and truth. It's not about our spirit or our grasp of the truth. It has always been about God's spirit and the truth of God revealed in Christ. In the second century, Irenaeus gave us one of our earliest depictions of, the, of a Trinitarian theology by referring to the Spirit and the Son as the two outreached arms of the Father. It's a little modalistic for a Trinitarian theology, I get that, but it's the second century. <laughs> and Irenaeus uses this to say that with the uh, with the outstretched arms of the Spirit and the Son, the Father rushes down the road to embrace us prodigals and to pull us into the divine love and grace. And in reaching out, God is giving us Spirit and Son. God is giving us all that heaven has to offer, two-handed giving, holding back nothing, or as the Apostle Paul says, every spiritual blessing from the heavenly places has been given to us. Every spiritual blessing has already been given in the Spirit and in the Son. Do you see that in worship we are renewed in this identity that what God is giving us is God and nothing else is going to satisfy the parched soul. And when we return to that sacred embrace and worship, we find that this triune God is not only passionate about us, but about the thirsty world that God so loved. And being renewed in God's passion for the thirsty world, we are renewed in our own calling to do justice and to love kindness and to walk humbly in the service of living water. And in our chapels, and in our service, then, we worship in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.